Let's go to work. Uh, Mark chapter 6, one of my favorite stories, starting in verse 45. We, we did the feeding of the 5,000 last uh, week. Enjoyed that. By the way, the, a little commercial time. I've had a few come up to me and say, my kids would love, would get so much out of these stories. I wish they could be here. They can be, but I think it'd be more valuable for them to be where they are with uh, the, the program that Marion and Catherine have. So there are a couple of other options. One, this is online, and you can, have, you can put it in a podcast, you can have them listen to it at home, or this would be better. You tell them the story. You get the insights we're sharing here, and then any insights which you get of your own, because you're smart people, and you sit down and you tell them the story. You become their shenaki, as we'd say in the Irish, their, their storyteller, their bard, their leader, right? Don't, don't um, I, I think that that would be so beneficial for your relationship, but also to teach them that wisdom comes from various areas. So it's, it's not always we follow the preacher, but rather you can sit down and say, let's do the Jesus stories. And that's the way to do it. Now, people say, when do you do it? I, I believe in the Deuteronomy 6 method, and that is wherever you are, as you get up, as you get down, as you go in, as you go out, do this as part of your daily routine. It doesn't have to be a formal, all right, turning off the television now, we're all sitting down here around a table doing this. When I was a kid, that was murder. But if I'm walking, or if I'm doing something else, and my, my father's talking to me, I absorbed. And so just be aware, they can come in here, but there are other options. Now, verse 45, chapter 6. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Now, again, Mark is very episodic. When he says immediately, there's, there's an indication here that this, these two episodes actually work together. Mark tends to rearrange wording and rearrange time because these are sermon illustrations that he's, he's doing. So it's a little different than Luke, let's say, uh, certainly than Luke, and a lot different than John. But when he says immediately, I've, I, it made me pull back and go, now why immediately? It could have been after you fed 5,000 people, they want to know where the next meal's coming from, and they might latch on or something. I don't really know, but it's a good thing to think about. I'll let you work on that because I want to get to something else. Made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Now, that's interesting. We're going to send you across. Go. And then Jesus stays to dismiss the crowd. There's some dynamics going on there that I'd like to, to work on a bit more before I talk about them. I've been working on it now for about two decades, so don't wait for it. It'll happen when it happens. Somehow, Jesus is up to something. After leaving them, the crowd, he goes up into a mountainside to pray. Stop again. When I do men's retreats, I tell them, to be a true man, you must be three things. Warrior, lover, monk. And the first two, they, they, they think they know where I'm going. The monk thing throws them. Warrior doesn't have to be with guns and knives and fists and the like. You can be a warrior for somebody by arguing for them in a court of law, by helping them find, sort out their finances, by counseling them, 
when they're going through troubles and the like. There are a lot of ways to be a warrior. Lover, I think we can all understand why that's important. Monk, you have to be comfortable being alone with God. To be a true man of God, you must take time alone with God. Told you the story before. Um, I used to give funny gifts to my staff for Christmas. And I, I gave them a bunch of funny gifts one time. This is not this staff here, but back up in Detroit. Uh, I, you know, one was a, a, a puppet nun, but she had boxing gloves on, and as you pull those strings, she would, you know, that was, you know, and, and you know, just stupid things. And I gave to a couple of them action figures from the Bible that were as cheesy as they could possibly be. And they all laughed. And then one of them said, we ought to get elder action figures. And I said, how about elder in action figures? And we all laughed at that for a while. And then it came back to bite me. They said, we ought to get a Patrick action figure. And I'm thinking, oh, no. They said, we wind it up. And sometime during the day, it just disappears. (laughs) Yeah, because it does. I, I, my staff understands that, they work with me, but you've you got to be comfortable walking away and being alone with God in quiet. Jesus goes. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake. He was alone on land. I love the way Mark sets up the scene. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Now, if, you don't, if you've never been out in a boat, uh, even a, a rowboat, if the wind is against you, it can be a lot stronger than any of your oars. And you're going to have to go where it goes. You think of those people that used to sail in the age of sail, and it just amazes me they got anywhere. Well, they're struggling. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. Now, in other versions of this and in the Greek it indicates he went out to be with them walking on the lake (laughs) okay next line he was about to pass them can we just stop for a minute and think of this he's on a high place he's looking down and seeing the, the boat and they're struggling so he decides to go to them He's walking on the water. Again, to me, what most people say, oh, that's the big miracle. That's the least impressive part of the whole thing. He's God. He designed water. He can walk on water. I have no problem with Jesus walking on water. That's, to me, that's the norm. He can do what he wants to do. But he's walking on water. He goes out to be with them. Next line, as he was about to pass them. Did you ever notice that before? That's funny. That's humor. That's the ratio. I don't know what he said. I don't know what he said. And Mark doesn't record it, and they don't record it. But whatever it was, he was about to pass them. Kind of like, see over there, guys. They cried out. They thought he was a ghost. Because why? Uh, Walking on water. You don't expect to see a human being there. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them. Remember, it's night. And that's, that's also important to remember. What happens in movies at night is well illuminated. Especially in war movies, you, you'll see, you see everything. In real war, you don't see anything. And it's much more terrifying. It's much more 
nerve-wracking. So he's walking by. I don't even know if he could hear the steps in the water. They cried out. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Again, that's so formal. It's more like the, Don't be afraid. Come on, it's me. Then he climbed in a boat with them. <laughs> that, would, oh, that would have been... I just love to have seen their faces. Climbed in a boat with them and a the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. They hadn't understood about the loaves. That's why they were not prepared for Jesus to be walking on water and climbing in a boat in the middle of the lake. I don't want to over-spiritualize this, because as soon as you do, you kill it. But there have been many times in my life I have not understood about the loaves. When I saw what was happening around me, I saw what was happening around me. I didn't see what God could do with what was happening around me. I saw the lack of resources, or I saw the abundance of enemies. I didn't see that God, I didn't remember the loaves. Do you understand what I mean by that? Again, not spiritualize this or make it into, you know, moral story of the week and then and walk away from it. Um, when it says their hearts were hardened, when we talk about somebody having a hard heart, that's a different thing. Hearts hardened here means they weren't ready to receive this. We're ready. Why weren't they ready? We've had 2,000 years to get ready. We've had Bible classes to get ready. We've had VBS with action flannel graph figures to get ready. We've had plays and songs to get ready. This was all new to them. He never said, by the way, I can walk on water. Don't let that surprise you. He just did it. God is a very surprising God. If you think you know what God's about to do next, you don't know God. You've created a myth in your head. Well, after they'd crossed over, when they'd crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out the boat, sorry, out the boat, very Scottish there, isn't it? As soon as they got out of the boat, <laughs> people said, Woo, that's Jesus. Now, people recognize Jesus. I do practice. Yes, I do. Um, what are you, tell me, what was the expression you used yesterday? Oh, because uh, I've learned it from one of you. She had, Cammie always feeds me brilliantly. And uh, at the end of it, I said, I'm going to use a Middle Tennessee expression I just heard. I am as full as a tick. <laughs> the, it was not quite the picture she preferred, uh, I, I believe. So I'm going to need to find another one if you have a better expression for me. Anyway, um, <laughs> moving on. Uh, People, if you ever got in here, you would run screaming, saying, Daddy, make it stop. Um, they ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. I don't blame them, do you? Don't blame them for half a second. But always remember this. 
Jesus didn't come to heal all our diseases. He didn't come to make sure we don't die. When he healed or raised somebody from the dead, it was to show he was who he said he was. But he didn't come here to feed us every day with miraculous multiplication of molecules and fish and bread either, did he? It is so easy to fall into the trap that, that Satan says we're all in. If you remember his argument in the book of Job, that the only reason we love God is because God's treating us real nice at the moment. But as soon as God turns off the blessing, we will turn off the worship. How often, I'll just, I'm not going to even ask you. I'm just going to state it this way. It makes me uncomfortable how often Satan is right about me. You understand what I mean? That I, I, I exaggerate this, but you, know, you go other places in the world, third world countries, and people are, kids are playing with a stick in an empty bottle and they're happy. And I'm over here, my microwave breaks, and I'm going, there is no God. You know, it's, it's so easy for us to, to just absolutely... I mean, have you ever seen anybody on their phone going, come on, really? It's talking to space. It's pretty exciting. You know, I wouldn't be upset about it at this moment. I'd be more interested in it and saying, wow, look at that. Wherever he went, they wanted to be healed. But remember, file it away, that's not why he was here. That's one of the reasons why he tried to get away from time to time. I think I told you this before, but back in the 70s, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber did a musical on the life of Jesus called Jesus Christ Superstar. And everybody at the time went, blasphemy, it's the end of the world. And it wasn't. It was, well, it may have been a little blasphemous in a few places, but it certainly wasn't the end of the world. Um, and I got the soundtrack, and I listened to it repeatedly, and there were some really good things on the soundtrack. There were some things that were, eh, but one of the scenes in there, and it was a made-up scene, as far as we know, it never happened. But it really helped me with this, where one after another, some people come up, can you hear me, Christ? Can you touch me, Christ? Can you heal me, Christ? Can you? And then the voices kept getting louder and louder to where they became a cacophony. They just, they blotted out and became where you made, got on your nerves because it was supposed to. And Jesus eventually shouts out, heal yourselves, and it goes very quiet. And then he sings about the struggles of all of this. But think about, every so often I want you to feel sorry for God. Because his job's awful, isn't it? And the number of his kids that don't pay attention to him, it's hard. Well, next story. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. All right. I'll, I'll read this bit here, um, perhaps parenthetical. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of their elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Now, the book of Leviticus had a lot of cleanliness rules, and those were always followed. Well, always followed. You know what I mean. That was... That was the law. But this was added on top. Do you remember when Jesus changed the water to wine? And he looked at the ceremonial jars that were used for washing. 
That wasn't, I've just come in from the field, I need to wash up before I eat washing. That was ceremonial washing. You were to go there and you placed your hands in and as you came out, there was a prayer that you prayed as the water ran off that elbow and then you did it again and another prayer that you prayed as it ran off that elbow and of course, people made that quite the show. Um, I think most people who did it, did it out of just pure devotion to God. This is the way we do things. But you remember one time the apostles are walking through a field and they're just, they're doing what you're allowed to do. You're, they're gleaning. They're grabbing bits of the wheat, grinding it, blow off the chaff and you pop it in your mouth and you chew it. And people are going, oh, they didn't do the washing hands thing. It wasn't about cleanliness. It was about religious tradition. We get that way too. Um, why do you pray before you eat? Don't stop. Don't come to me and say, because we're grateful. I know you are. But you're also grateful when you sit down in a comfy chair. Do you, do you pray then? Uh, you're also grateful when the heat or the air conditioner kicks on, unless you're paying the bill. My new hobby is frowning at thermostats um, and turning off lights. That's how I know I've become a dad. So, but anyway, you, we, why do we do it? Because of the story in the Old Testament where they started eating and got killed because they weren't thankful. So just in case, we say the prayer. Now, I'm, I'm being facetious to a point. What if you're in a super loud restaurant and there are a group of you and you're Christians and then the food arrives, that awkward looking at each other? How do we do this now? Do we shout? Uh, at this point, if you jumped up and grabbed the ceiling fan and we're swinging around, they couldn't hear you. But for some reason, we feel like the need to do it. So we close our eyes because we've also been told to do that, to pray closing your eyes. Well, that's only because we told our kids to do that, to keep them from looking around. And we're going to lock your hands together as well. And so, but we'll, we'll do that. Close our eyes. And somewhere down there, we're hearing something. But we're not hearing it all. But we know we need to freeze frame until we hear cutlery being moved. Then we know it's done. See, you're laughing. Why? Because that's the way we do things. Why do we do it? It's tradition. Now, Cammie and I have a tradition of prayer at our dinner, but we don't do that. And as we go out into restaurants, we tend not to pray out loud. We just have a silent prayer. Um, if you have an out loud prayer, that's no better or worse than ours. Just saying, be aware of what is tradition and what is law. I've even been at a house more than once where the food came out, everybody said the formal prayer, and then we're eating, and it's a couple hours later that they bring the dessert out, and people are just looking at the dessert. And I know what they're thinking. Did that prayer cover this one? It's been a while. Now, was, now who, who said the prayer? Because pretty sure a minister's prayer lasts longer than a deacon's, but an elder, an elder's prayer probably covers the evening. Uh, who, you know, and it's just... I can remember one time, my mother served us leftovers for 16 years. The original meal had never been located. <laughs> and I remember one time my dad said, Patrick, would you say the prayer? And I, I looked down and I shouldn't. I said, I said it outside. He said, I've learned to say it inside. At that point, I had not mastered this. And so I said, I think I've thanked God for all of this before. And oh, <laughs> That did not go well. I did see Jesus twice, um, but I wasn't allowed to make the final trip through the tube. My father drugged me back through both times. So, ceremony. 
tradition. I was at a church once. We were just going through. I and a couple other ministers, and they, we were, somebody spotted us. We were known as ministers, and they went up to one of the guys with us and said, well, would you say the prayer you know, tonight? And we said, well, sure, sure. And the song leader got to that point, and then he called on, because he, he got the note to, to call on that guy to pray. And he stood up to pray when a couple, one of the elders stood up and said, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, brother. I'm sorry, brother. That's not your fault. Here we, we have the reading before we have the prayer. Really? And you'd interrupt for that. We said that inside. Outside, we were gracious. Inside, judgmental, harsh, you know, you know like, like you. Um, what happened with the Bell Trust was massive. Do you know it was only 10 years ago where 20th century Christian, it was 20th then, now it's 21st. They're, they got new calendars. And Gospel Advocates' list of churches dropped any that used an instrument or that let women speak. And the outcry was great, but they didn't back up. Not, well, one of them backed up after a couple of years, but puts a notation in. Things are changing. And I remember people came to us and they said, but this is what we do. This is, this is the word of the Lord. And I looked at them and I said, I want you to imagine something. You're a Yugoslavian goat herd. I know the country does not exist. Just work with me. You're a Yugoslavian goat herd. You never heard of any of this. And then the Bible falls out of heaven right in front of you in your language. And you read it. Are you going to think instrumental music is wrong? They got real quiet. They said, well, maybe not. And I said, then who told you it was and what was their reasoning? We went from there. People, I'm as guilty as any person in the room of assuming my tradition is what God likes best. Oh, we have to watch ourselves, don't we? We're all a mess. That's why we need a savior. Good news, we have one. So, the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Let's stop for a minute, shall we? That's not what you're expecting, was it? You're expecting him standing there, shining a bit, holding a lamb, saying something sweet about, you know, perhaps we should talk to you about traditions and how that's all. No, he looked at him and said, you guys are just making this up. You know what the word hypocrite meant? Actor. A play actor. Somebody playing a role. He goes, you guys are just making this up. This isn't even real. You're not offended by their non-washing. You're offended because they're not under your control. They are not controlled by you. That's what's offensive to you. He was right about this. As it's written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. I've gotten into so much trouble because I did what I was told. Growing up, my father, hard man, um, only man I've ever known that can make Jehovah's Witnesses say, you know, we've really got to be going. There's, um, <laughs> hard man. Stands in front of a microwave going, come on. Um, this guy always told me that the world was lying to me and I needed to learn to think for myself 
and then I did. That's when it went sideways. You understand me? I've told my kids, think for yourself, make up your own mind, and you're going to upset me to pieces one day, but you're just doing what I told you to do. And so far, it's worked out pretty well. We've handled it well. Think for yourself. Make your own decisions. Because it is far too easy. I mean, I know of families that will vote for uh, the Democrat or the Republican because that's what they've always done in that family. Uh, I've met people who are, I don't mean to be picking. If you're a Roman Catholic, understand something. We love you. You're welcome here. And when, when you get to heaven, we won't be surprised. How's that? All right? But I've known of people that said they were Catholic, and I'd say, what church do you go to? And they don't really know. They're Catholic because they're Irish. Or they're Catholic because they're Italian. It's just kind of a tradition. Jesus is going, no, no, no. It's got to be in the heart. And the distance from here to here is the greatest distance in the world, isn't it? It takes a long time to move one to the other. Um, yes, that's exactly right. Love hearing babies. Love hearing babies. It means there's a future. Um, I will, let me do a little personal confession to you that may not apply to you at all, but that's all right. If it does, maybe this will help you. The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He was not talking about our songs during worship, but I apply it that way to me because if I don't watch out, I will go on autopilot and just sing it because I know it without thinking it. And I have slowed myself down on some songs. For example, Sweet Hour of Prayer. It's a great song. Don't get me wrong. Hope you sing it. Hope you love it. Put it on your tombstone. That's great. I don't spend an hour in prayer because I can't keep that concentration going. It's like, you know, Lord, you and I, this is it. This is our hour together. Look, something shiny just went by. That was fascinating, wasn't it? You know why things shine? It's because they reflect light. And then I'm off. I'm off somewhere. And then after a while, I'll come back to God and go, oh, you're still here. Okay, um, uh, where were we? Shiny thing. That's right, the shiny thing. And then I'm off again. So I've learned that the only way for me to pray it for a long time is to do it out loud. And that means I need to be by myself because that'll keep me more on track. Now, those of you that are praying and invoke, God bless you. That is fantastic and wonderful. But what did they do? They even provided a little prayer guide for you. Here, think about these things. Because this is, it's not just me. But there are other songs uh, that we sing that I just, I just think we need to be careful what we're saying. Pay attention. There's an old hymn when I was a boy we would sing that said, I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Remember that phrase? I remember going to my dad and said, I'm, I'm not. He goes, well, then you can't sing it. <laughs> okay. I sing it now. <laughs> oh, Lord. Underline it, you know, even. Hold it up so he can see it easier. Um, but if you grab human rules, you let go of the commands of God. What does that mean? That means this. If we make our rule, by the way, can you prefer a cappella and decide that your church sings a cappella only? Yes. But if you decide to make it a test of fellowship, you have broken the command of God, which is love one another. Treat everybody as brother and sister. You can't do that because you've let your tradition trump the law of God. 
You see now how that works? Don't let your tradition do that. And here, for example, let's, let's talk Christmas. I love Christmas. I'm ready to decorate. Except I'm not allowed to because I evidently have poor standards of decoration. But I, I love, love Christmas. Um, when our kids are growing up, Christmas is a hoot. They're all, they're all there. Now they're grown up. They have other relatives, as I like to call them, the competition. <laughs> and every year I have to ask Cammie, is it our year to have the kids or their year? You have to inflect. You have to inflect properly. Their year. Or do the kids have to go over there? And we learn. Now, am I happy about them not being at the house? Nope. But I cannot let our tradition is that we always gather here to trump the love of God that says, let go. Your job is to love, not to enforce a tradition. You see the difference there? By the way, our kids have brought up several times, they love the fact that we don't fight over this. We don't act hurt over this. We are. <laughs> and we would like a meteor to strike, you know, certain places, but... We're going to act. We're going to be hypocritical, and we're going to act sweet about this. All right? And make sure that whatever presents we send are better than anything they're going to get from those people. <laughs> Isn't it fun to walk with God? Because he knows all this about you already. And some of you may be thinking, I'm not, is this really a Bible study? It's a Bible study because we're being honest about who we are and why we need Jesus. Because if you don't watch out, we're going to get in the same problem here. I, lo I, I love Mark's, Mark Duckworth's um, instincts and the way he mixes. And, you know, the band never takes over the songs. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Ever. The singing always dominates here. I've had people come here that have said, we love the music here because we really love our other church, but we can't hear each other think over the music. You know something? Watch out. Don't say, yeah, I wish they wouldn't do that. No, if that's their way, that's their way. It's when you, when you start, I mean, that's subtle. It's so easy to make the way you do things the law. Be very careful. I, I'm saying that to you, but it's reflecting, bouncing right back to me. I have to do it all the time. You've let go of the commands of God. Remember what Jesus said the commands of God were? Love God and love each other. Don't let go of those. If what you're about to do is going to make you let go of one of those two, don't do it. And by the way, don't cheat. I've had so many people that are mad at me and trying to get me corralled and get me back in the wee box that they've created for themselves, saying, we're only doing this because we love you. No, you're not. You're doing it because I'm upsetting you. I got free, and you're afraid others might see and I get that, because I used to be in the box too. Can't even remember my box now. And he continued. He wasn't done. <laughs> Jesus wasn't done. Jesus and my mother would get on so well. They would. God and my mother get along great, because of Proverbs 6, where God says, God says, six things I hate. No, wait, hang, seven. Seven. He adds, 
My, that's the way my mother always talked to me. You know what's wrong with you? There are two things wrong with you. There, I, there are three things wrong. By the time she was done, oh my goodness. Jesus is not done here. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. Stop right there. It doesn't mean that they said a nasty word to their mom. It means that you become a burden and a pain to them because of the way you live your life. And you don't care about them. It's, it was a, it's a much bigger thing than language. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their mother or father is Corban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. All right, this was a way of getting out. The Pharisees had developed several ways of doing this. For example, in the Sabbath day journey, you weren't allowed to walk more than roughly a third of a mile, a half a mile from your property. So they, if they needed to go further, would break an old jug and have shards of pottery tucked in the folds of their clothes and every half mile or so toss one out. That way they were never more than a half mile from their property. Now, you, we can go, those stupid Pharisees, but we do, we make just as much silliness in the way we do things. So, the Pharisees are us. But here further, what if mom and dad are going to cost you money? Remember back then, there was no uh, Medicare, Medicaid, there was no Social Security, there was, families were supposed to take care of each other. What if you didn't want to? But instead said, no, my money is devoted to God. That sounds real Holy. If you're not the parent, suffering, God says, don't do that. But you've nullified God's law by your tradition. The very thing they said honored God dishonored him. That's a real, that, that makes me sit down and think a lot and wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and think, am I dishonoring God by anything that I'm doing in honor of him? A friend of mine put on Facebook yesterday um, that for the first time in America that he had seen, as he was driving in a small town in Missouri, a man was standing in the street with a megaphone preaching. And he said, I'm not sure why he thinks that's going to work for anybody. So I just commented. I said, how was my hair? You know, cause, acting like it was me. But again... I don't know what that man was and what he was saying, but we had a street preacher in Glasgow. Glasgow's the biggest city in Scotland. And I um, don't know why I did that. that that's a universal sign for biggest city in Scotland. Uh, right downtown, um, we had a street preacher, and he would have these folding out sandwich boards, you know, listing people going to hell and why. And he would just be shouting, and, and every so often people would come and shout abuse back at him, and he'd just shout abuse at them, and it was just... It was, it, was, it was a standard. Uh, that's what he did. I truly think he did it because he thought that honored God. I would respectfully disagree. I don't think that honored God. But again, I could be wrong. But even if I am, I'm saved. Everybody else feel good about that? So, when you read the Bible, remember it's a mirror it is not written about other people that you're allowed to judge. It's about us. 
Jesus called the crowd to him. Now, that's interesting. Hadn't he just spent a lot of time getting away from him? But the Pharisees have got him worked up. So he goes, come here. Everybody, understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. Okay. If you're thinking that sounds just a little bit naughty, it's supposed to. Jesus wasn't Victorian. He would say things. It also is shocking. Because has anybody here read Leviticus? How about Deuteronomy? That's a whole lot of stuff about what goes into you, defiles you. Jesus is saying, no, it's a symbol. It was a lesson. Learn the lesson. We all, we're not defiled by putting the bread in. It's what comes out of us that's dirty and nasty. Once you think about this, I worked with a group of people whose language was off the chart bad. I can remember once when my son was home and his uh, unit, we found out his unit was going to hold a, a family day picnic up in Lansing, Michigan, where his reserve unit was based, Marine Corps. And uh, he hadn't told us. At first, I was a little, little hurt. So I went up to him. I said, why didn't you tell us about this? And he goes, oh, I don't want you to go. Why is that? He said, you and Mama would not be comfortable with the language you're going to hear. I was thinking, you know something? Fair enough. Fair enough. Gotcha. Um, but I worked with people whose language was pretty foul. And then there was an incident, you know, near car crash, what didn't, didn't crash, but near enough, and I found those words had gotten in me. Ever happened to you? They all of a sudden, whoa, there they are. I learned a long time ago in, in psychology that something cannot slip out of you unless it slipped in you first. we got to be careful what goes in because it, what comes out of us can defile us. And so it's a, it's a, you know, Jesus, I believe, is doing a bit of hyperbole here, but yet it's pretty serious stuff. I was not defiled by being around people with foul language. Foul language. I was defiled by allowing them to change me. So we have to be very careful that we're not saying, oh, those bad people. No, what happened was I let them change me rather than me change them. Can we be very honest here and say that the world is much better at evangelizing us than us evangelizing them? So let's just be aware of it. Be careful. After he'd left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. He looks at them, are you so dull? Once again, not exactly what we were expecting to hear from Jesus. Kind of like, well, you're not God. Let me sit down and have, talk to you, poor little guys. No, he goes, how thick are you? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them, for it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of their body? A little parenthetical statement here says, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. That probably, but that wasn't the point. The point is, no matter, how can I put it to you? All right, here we are. Everybody here has had bad things happen to them. And I can give you a list for me, and you can give me your list, and we can compare list. And you might think, you know, oh, Patrick, you know, he's never had... No, Patrick's gone through hell several times and probably not done doing it. However, my past does not get to decide my present. 
Let me put it to you another way. Having a lousy childhood is no excuse for being a lousy adult. You're grown up now. Make some decisions. Draw your lines. Create your boundaries. I am... Um, it doesn't mean that if you were you know, badly abused as a child that you should be over it. No, I understand that the, you, could, you have lingering damage and scars and you need therapy and the like, and I'm all for that. What I'm saying is it doesn't get to define who you are. You before God... Whoop, went away again. Sometimes that happens because somebody in the area is using uh, uh, something on the same frequency and it hits, so... If ever, and by the way, if you did not hear that sound drop out, then I didn't either. Um, I never know when the medication might be wearing off. <laughs> Last few minutes, he went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. And now he defines it. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. And what does religion often do? It focuses on what's outside of a person. You know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do this, but do these five acts of worship and do this other. It's all external. He says it's inside that God's looking at. He's checking the heart. And the heart is what's important to God. All, uh, we can discuss more about this next week because our time's up, but all sin begins with selfishness all sin and then it begins to play in the head for a while and then it becomes something else for example um, my brother Larry here does therapy you, I'm sure you're familiar with the, the modality of rational emotive therapy I worked, that's, that's the main one that I worked with growing, going up through the school and post-grad and, and the like um, rational emotive therapy is exceptionally helpful for people who actually are able to think you know, so it doesn't work with everybody, but it works with people that are pretty good at thinking. The only problem I had with it, Larry, was uh, one of its tenets is that there are no absolutes. And I can still remember a guy leaning over on my desk, red in the face, spittle flying, mad at me. There are no absolutes. And I looked at him and I said, does that include that statement? And that added months and months to my, my program. Again, I have to learn to do this inside. But I learned from that, that a thought comes into the head and you get to decide whether to leave it, capture it, what you do with it. As a Chinese say, you're not, you know, birds, no one can stop a bird from flying over your head. But you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. So the thought comes in. Now if you decide to capture it, model it for a while, that thought eventually becomes an attitude. And that attitude becomes a belief, and belief then becomes action. And Jesus is saying, you watch what's going on inside. The outside isn't doing it. When I was a wee boy, I'd get in trouble, and you know what I would often say? They made me do it. Jesus is saying, no, you don't get away with that. No, you made a decision. All right, and I know our time is, is do you have anything you want to say, or do you want to just catch it up? in two weeks. Next week there is a class, but it's, it's like for a whole church thing, and Lauren is leading it, but it's, it's about our youth and about where they're going to go this summer and what they're going to do. It's pretty exciting stuff, so be here to support her for that. But in two weeks' time, I'll take it up from here.